Hello and welcome parents, parents by nature, parents by choice, and anyone with no apparent reason for being here. I am your host, Chris Osborne, and you are listening to the next episode of Judgy Parents Watching. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Last year, I remember you and Jake had a really strong Mandalorian theme going. That was going. last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was the Mandalorian. Jake was Clara June. Cara, was... Cara June. Yes, and he was, was beautiful. June. I did his makeup. And my old dog, may he rest in peace, um, was uh, Baby Yoda. Yes. And I had him in a little sling and I carried him around and he... Um, he was totally fine, and he's he was so chilled, and he was very old. Um, but he just started sighing when he was done walking. He was going <laughs> like such an old man. What are you going? What are you dressing up as this year? We we decided to go for um, Marvel this year, so I'm I'm going Black Widow. Okay. And I've got actually a re- pretty cool costume for it. It's a little big, so I'm eating. Um, and I think Jake's doing a cop out. Because he's going as Iron Man. Okay. Um, but not Iron Man in his Iron Man suit. Um, Iron Man where he's just got the glowing thing underneath. And the thing is, is that Jake is like big on Halloween dress up. So at first I was disappointed. And then I realized is that he gets told relatively frequently. He looks like um, Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. And he loves it. I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah. J- Jake, Jake says that when he's fit and healthy, he gets called Robert Downey Jr., and if he's like put on wage where he's tired, then people compare him to Ben Affleck. You know, <laughs> you know that photo of Ben Affleck where he's having the cigarette and he's yes. like looking up at the sky. Yes. So whenever Jake gets like the Ben Affleck reference, he goes to like the gym or goes on the bike. <laughs> so this is a this is. I mean, I'm happy with it because I think Robert Downey Jr. is beautiful. I think Jake's beautiful, glowing chest, good. What are you guys going as? Well, uh, Jess and Wonder Woman, our six-year-old, they're going as unicorns. They've got some really great unicorn like onesies that they're wearing, along with some colorful rainbow hair, yeah. makeup. And Boo Boo, our two-year-old, she's in her Paw Patrol phase right now. Her. Yeah, and she chose to wear the Chase outfit. And for those of you who know, which are probably most most of you, if you're parents, Chase is the uh, German Shepherd dog. At least I think he's a German Shepherd. Some kind of gray dog. I don't know, but it's a German Shepherd. But Boo Boo looks amazing in this right. costume. I, I mean, it ha- it has little ears. It has a little tail, and the color of the of Chase's fur just kind of naturally matches her skin tone and hair. Kind of looks like almost like it was like tailored to her. So she looks adorable and I really wanted to make sure that I was playing a part in her costume just how Jess is playing a part in Wonder Woman's costume. So I saw her and were like, could I also look that cute? Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I'm no. I'm just like, how could I enhance this? How yeah. could I make this even better? And so I'm gonna go as Captain Turbot uh, or Captain yeah. Turbot uh, from Paw Patrol. I've got the uh, kind of like yellow rain slickers and yellow rain jacket that uh, Captain Turbot oh, has. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And what was great was uh, she didn't know that I was going to be Captain Turbot. And she so, did yeah, and so I got all the I got all the supplies and I was like, "Boo boo, who am I?" And she's like, "Captain Turbot." Oh and she's like, "I want to be Chase." And it's like, "Yeah." And so it was a really sweet moment and I, I can't wait to get out there with that her. Is, by the way, doing something like that for a kid of Boo Boo's age is like they're still trying to work out like fiction and reality. And so like that will have just blown her mind in the best way. And it's funny cuz I obviously asked the question like what are you guys dressing up as? I knew. Because the day that you all went to get your costumes, or at least the, the kids did, um, we came around to yours for dinner, I think, that night? Yeah, or something uh-huh. like that. And, guys, Chris is not over-exaggerating the boo-boo situation. I looked at her and I was like, I was like, looked at Chris and was like, why is she this cute? Like, <laughs> she, and the thing about boo-boo's face is that she's got that little twinkle, but she is just adorable and she's kind of, you know, I think she's probably about to start growing a lot where they become sort of more of the little adult versus yeah. she's just at the stage where she's like kind of a giant baby. Yes. And oh, it is She looks like amazing. a puppy. She just looks like a puppy. She looks like a puppy. Yeah. yeah, you guys do Halloween well, for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad that we have made it around to get in a Halloween episode. And I, yeah. wanted, I wanted to bring up something that a lot of people are probably thinking of because I've heard a lot of our fans asking... Are you going to do Hocus Pocus for your Halloween episode? And we talked about it. We did talk about it. And Hocus Pocus is a great movie. However, a large part of that movie, the parents are dancing until they die. But yeah, with Hocus Pocus, (laughs) the parents are pretty removed in the movie. And so there aren't that many instances where we can kind of insert our own point of views. And, you know, kind of the same with the craft. I was about to say, like... Well, yeah, I, I mean, we do, we did, we, do we do touch on the parents and the craft, which they are limited, but they are there. I think the thing about this is that the focus that we take in this podcast, or at least how it's developed over time, is either taking the view of the parents and how we feel about their behavior or treatment or anything like that of the children, or we're looking at the children themselves when we are going, like, these people are vulnerable, how have things changed since then, you know, and we look at some of those themes and... I think whilst there are themes of parenting, probably two very strong ones in the craft, um, it really is that thing of um, the the really scary part of being a teenager. Take away the magic, take away anything else. It's, uh, it's a very challenging time, and I think we go into a lot of that. Hocus Pocus didn't really offer up as many opportunities for us to be able to do that. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. And I'm glad you brought up the longevity of this podcast because we have been doing this for about a year now. And if you count a little mini episode, we have hit the 10 episode goal that we set out to do. Uh, but we're going to keep going. And, you know, if you're new to this podcast, Naomi just did a great job of recapping what this whole podcast is about so (laughs) yeah don't need to go into it anymore but if you're new to the show welcome and you've got a great show ahead of you because our two parents of the week jess and lewis are fantastic so good i i loved whether or not we were talking about this movie it was great to get the perspective from a parent who has very recently sent their child to college yeah and so they are fresh off the boat of um some of the most interesting, challenging years um, 
they probably got a little hindsight going on whereas you know us and our previous parents were really in the thick of it um they seem a lot calmer than us yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'm like oh <laughs> No, that's so true. I know I'm going to be going back and listening to this episode and taking notes and probably also just calling Lewis and Jess when the girls uh, hit teenage years, but their insight was so So good. good. So why don't we just get into it? Let's get in. All right, let's go. Thanks. Naomi. Christopher. (laughs) Oh, thanks for coming back. Thank you. Um, I mean, it's literally my part-time job. (laughs) (laughs) you know this is officially if we include the mini episode podcast 10 oh you're right and and it is our anniversary (gasps) it is yeah we started this about a year ago wow well done for doing 10 in a year there we go Hey, two months of vacation, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know what? You don't pay me, but you can create a holiday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this movie in particular, I would not have to pay you to watch this movie, right? Because you just watched it literally hours ago for the first time. Yeah. Quick take, what'd you think? Absolutely freaking loved it. (laughs) Like, no, it was, it's probably there as my favorite Halloween style movie, you know, the kind of movies that you watch around that time of year. Um, And I think I mentioned this to you earlier, but context being is when I was growing up, I was obsessed with Charmed. Watched it so many times. I'll be honest, I've even watched the whole thing back as an adult. (laughs) So within, you know, when within the first five, ten minutes of it, you get this sense of like this kind of similar, um feel about it they don't start off as witches developing and understanding their power and their the big repeating theme was this you know using it for good and bad which is like right. an ongoing theme in charmed but and it was a very i mean it is probably the you know one of the more central themes of this movie right is yeah. like you know how you use the power that you have absolutely so i enjoyed it for the plot and i enjoyed it for the storyline the music the 90s fashion neve freaking campbell Yes. Like all of it was, it ticked so many boxes of the nostalgia of 1996 that you just couldn't not sit there and just revel in it. Especially now that 90s are kind of coming back in terms of fashion and that kind of stuff. Yes. And we'll get to that. Okay. We'll definitely get to that because I, ne- I think we all need to spend a little bit of time with the fashion there. Is that and, why you're wearing that t-shirt? Oh yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, for those of you listening, and I'm wearing a, I believe it's a 1992 Lithuania Grateful Dead tie-dye jersey. Um, Colorful. Yeah, yeah. I think Jonah Hill's probably worn this a few times. <laughs> We have the same tailor. Uh, (laughs) But to help us break down the craft is our first couple that we brought in. This week we have two parents of the week. They have a beautiful daughter. They are Jessica Ruiz and Louis Ruiz. And for those of you who, I don't know, don't quite know the name Jessica Ruiz, she's actually our first celebrity Wait, on celebrity? the show. Yeah, yeah yes. And, and, and explain why you are our first celebrity. So Chris thinks I'm a celebrity because... <laughs> All about perspective. I work in the entertainment industry in a way. Okay. Um, so I am the head of customer acquisition for Prime Video. So I actually watch the craft... By renting it 
The Rue Prime Video. I believe it's a two ninety nine rental. Last I checked. <laughs> I think I did yep. too. Yep. Because I couldn't be dealing with and the other one. You get to watch it for forty eight hours, so we watched it more than once. So you know, <laughs> didn't have to rewind that movie. Just got to play it again. What's a fantastic, awesome. unique value proposition of right. Prime Video? <laughs> and Lewis, I feel like you and I are very similar in the sense that we both live in the ever growing shadows of our partners. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we're bask really, <laughs> just basking. <laughs> yeah. In the monolith that we have partnered with. I, yeah, I'm still up for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all have, uh, tell us about your, your daughter. She is 20. Mm-hmm. So Lewis had her very young, and I've come into her life also very young. So I think I came into her life around three years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Three or four, yeah. <laughs> She's such a sweet young lady and we're so proud of her and she's just amazing so we're very excited for her future she's actually a junior in college right now so that blows my mind oh yeah she's a junior uh i'm really proud of her that's amazing and i'm so glad that we have parents of an older (laughs) child because i mean this movie is geared towards older kids and i was a teenager when i watched it the first time but then coming back into it it was a whole new game but still enjoyed the movie so much and you said that she really enjoyed the movie too right so she actually coincidentally came home from college this past weekend and so we watched it together as a family, and it was so much fun to yeah. watch her react for the first time. And she's actually a huge, um, like, scary movie, horror movie buff. She watches way more of that genre than we do, and so it was really interesting to hear her perspective, because I wasn't actually sure mm, if she yeah. was going to like it or not, um, and she loved it. That's yeah. great. So, uh, yeah, being a uh, parent of an older child, quote-unquote adult, yeah, it never it never changes. We tell her, "Hey, this this is gonna be a good one. You might like it." And she's like, "Nah, it's <laughs> <laughs> nah, all right." But uh, she'll she usually doesn't fight us on movies if we're like, "Hey, watch this with us," and she'll sit and watch. And she re- yeah, she really enjoyed it. That's uh, great. That's great. Okay, well, let's get things kicked off. And so, like anything involving parents, this podcast has a few rules that we're going to lay out before we get started. The first rule is privacy. And so what that means is we're going to be respecting our kids' privacy. So we'll be telling stories about them, but we won't be using their names. Instead, we will be using nicknames for our kids. And uh, who do we want to start this week? I Um, think we should understand the Miss Daisy context. Yes. Okay. So, Lewis, Jessica, please explain your kid's nickname. So, she, uh, the first car I gave her was my older Altima, mm-hmm. and she, she herself named it Daisy. Uh, <laughs> it's also like driving Miss Daisy going in a car with her, um, which I find so interesting. So, I'm actually very thankful that she was a teenager that wanted to drive. So, that I'll just be very thankful for always. Because that's a new thing with this generation of oh, yeah. teenagers. They don't want to drive anymore. Why? They want to be driven or they want to be, yeah, basically yeah. parents drive them or Uber drives them or whatever. I can but, imagine that in my future. Yeah, with yeah. her, she actually wanted to drive. So, she started driving right at 16. Um, but she is such a careful driver, which, driver, which will always want a careful driver. However, 
She's a very slow <laughs> that, that goes down real well. Yeah. Like she's going to get a speeding ticket for going too slow versus too fast. Yeah. Is the way that I see it. She's had a little minor, uh, you know, fender benders. Uh -huh. and so now she's very, very cautious. All right, cool. So we got Miss Daisy, Naomi, you go let's with yours. I see if I can do it first take this time. Yeah, let's try. Let's do it. Let's go for it. So my kids are 10, 12, and 14. Well, 11, but we round up by the time the others have got older. Um, so our 10-year-old is the Big Easy. The 11-12-year-old is Mr. Chatty. And then the oldest one is the teenager. And I may be changing their names soon because the <laughs> Mr. Chatty is now becoming the teenager and the teenager is becoming nice again. Oh yeah, tell everyone what happened the other day with the teenager. Oh, it was a really magical moment. So <laughs> I, he'd been at his friends all weekend, which um, as I'm sure many parents of kids of a similar age will appreciate you know, that's a really wonderful thing to be able to see now. Things, you know, with COVID and he's vaccinated and stuff are starting to lift. And so he, we, he disappeared on Friday night and he came back on Sunday midday. And, you know, I just went in and was like, hey, teenager. And he just silently got up and walked towards me. And I was stood by the door. And honestly, in my mind, I was like, is he just going to like walk straight past me? <laughs> that was honestly where my mind first went. I was like, I mean, at least he wasn't rude. But Brace yourself for disappointment. Exactly. Brace so yourself was to be eviscerated emotionally. <laughs> and I was so prepared for that. And then he came up to me and gave me the biggest hug. Aww. And I was like, oh, I've missed you. And he goes, I've really missed you too. So obviously, I acted really cool. And I was like, great. And then I left and I was headed out. So I went to my car and I was like, ah! <laughs> because he, you know, I think with any kid that age, when you get those really genuine, you know, moments, um, you know, you're going to remember it. And it, it, it meant a lot to me. So yeah, that was the highlight of my week. <laughs> Maybe life. That's a great story though. That's a really great happy. story. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so my kids' nicknames are Wonder Woman, and she is our six-year-old, and Boo Boo, who is our two-year-old. Okay, uh, next rule of judgy parents watching is keep it family-friendly, which means we're going to try our best to censor ourselves, and the way that we're going to censor ourselves is we're going to be using a word to replace any four-letter word or foul language that we want to use and our word of the week this week that we're going to replace any four letter word or foul language is skeet 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 be out because of skeet 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 oh, skeet skeet, skeet Ulrich and I can I think you <laughs> is know is skeet Ulrich not a good person say that again is skeet Ulrich not a good person he's a murderer <laughs> sorry is this, is this a joke I mean no you're right Jess no Okay, so this is what Wait, happened. sorry, this Wait, is not okay. real. This is real. Oh, my God. Okay, so we start watching the movie, and I turn to Lewis, and I was like, why does Skeet's character have such murdery vibes? And he was, like, looking at me, and then we both figured it out spontaneously. It's because he's the murderer in the Scream yes. first movie yes. with <laughs> Ned Campbell. So I was like, was the craft... His audition for him and Ned and Nev Campbell to then be in Scream. So just to clarify, he plays murderers. Yes. He is not a murderer. Fair. Okay, cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but like that is, that is, 
Sorry, Skeet. I don't know. I heard I heard it otherwise. I heard he's a real murderer. I don't remember him <laughs> in to say. And it's probably isn't worth talking too much about in the actual podcast. Terrible acting performance. By which one? Skeet. Wait, what? Yes. What? He looks like... No. So you have these female leads... Okay, they are amazing. Yes, no argument there. And I, no do, argument I was actually there. sat there trying to work out, is it because their characterization and their performances are just so strong, or does he suck? And I landed on the fact that he sucked. I think, okay, disagree with he sucked, because oh, he has layers that are very subtle to it, and very understated, and he is meant to get out of the way because of the four female protagonists, because they have the strongest story arcs. He is, he's just a set piece, is the thing, but he's a set piece that has a lot more emotion now that I've seen it the second time around, and we'll go into it. Man, we spent a lot of time on this second rule, probably the most time we've spent explaining the rule on any of our episodes. So let's get on to the last and final rule, which is just have fun, and honestly, I think we're going to have a little bit too much fun tonight. So excited. And that's why I just want to say, I would have to rate this episode, maybe PG-13. We're going to be exploring a rated R movie. There are themes of rape, suicide, racism. So, yeah, this is a murder. murder. Yep, witchcraft. So, let's get into it, and we're going to revisit what we left off you saying, Naomi, about how friggin' 90s (laughs) this movie is, and just like the wardrobe, the environments, Los Angeles airport with the yellow taxi oh cabs. Yeah. There's so many things that just drop me into this nostalgic look and feel. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular that stood out to you? It was a particular scene, and it was the girls on the bus. Uh-huh. Um, do you remember? It was almost like this kind mm-hmm. of... It was done very artistically of their positioning on the bus, and they're all wearing these like quintessential... Um, you know, the kind of, I don't even know how you describe those sort of sundresses with the cardigans and those like round, very 90s sunglasses with the color tint. And then they all get off the bus and they turn around and it was this kind of like, it was the most, you know, powerful as a unit they were at that period of time. They were very united. And I think the way that they kind of dressed them up, got their confidence going through costume was really done. And so that was like, that was the one where it like took me right back to it. Can we also talk about... um, the Smiths song. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's the 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 soundtrack. That that's the song I was thinking of. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of covers in it, but none more recognizable than the Smiths' "How Soon Is Now," yeah. and that that like carried over into "Charmed," which mm-hmm. yeah, you which they say I think not fully confirmed, I'm sure, but that it was you know because they intentionally picked up you know pieces of other movies and films and. Um, TV shows and that was there and it was funny how that play like da 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 that kind of happens and it just like took me back mm-hmm. to yeah. the 90s yeah. early noughties to that feeling of that and like I used to get so ex- I think it was every Sunday when Charmed came on in the new episode and like 11am and I would like run downstairs and I'd be like shut up parents I'm watching Charmed and it was like <laughs> it just takes you back to like that feeling of being that age and it was it was aw- like the whole music in that was yeah, it was very culty. Yeah. You know, you it was very stuck to really kind of one genre pretty much all the way through, not exclusively, but 
you know, that um, music that did get associated with being a little bit of an outsider, but it's also very cool music. And dude, I love this film. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, after the opening credits were dropped into the movie and we get to meet the main character, Sarah, she and her family are moving into a new house in LA. In this first scene, the family's moving stuff inside the house and this uh, nearby vagrant wanders up with a snake. (laughs) And, you know, and looking back, it's really setting up a part of the plot where she, like, Sarah sees snakes in her dreams and then then that kind of translates into the climax of the movie. But it's just this random guy just walks up into the house with a snake Mm -hmm. and the dad comes out, grabs the closest weapon he can find, which is a fire poker. (laughs) And it's like, hey, Get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) But I get that, and I'm glad that that was, like, the first scene of the movie because that drops us into, you know, what this whole podcast is about, what you would do as a parent. But Jess, Lewis, any time when y'all had to go friggin' berserker on people who were weirding out or getting too close to Miss Daisy? I don't think that's ever happened, but if I was in that situation and a homeless person was having a snake and, like, trying to scare Miss Daisy. Yeah. A lot of skeet would have been thrown his way immediately and shouting and everything to scare him off. And the Latina would have come out <laughs> in a real way. Because I didn't understand, like, his reaction to me was way too subtle. Right. A, it's uh-huh. creepy. B, like, it's not like they lived right off the street. Like, just the way that the, the house was set up. It was, like, kind of off in a way. And so it's like, yeah, if somebody's coming a... to your house... Yeah. You need to get a ring camera, man. Like, you need to get something to... <laughs> Another Amazon plug there. Right. <laughs> and I think that there is something as well with the parental mode that you step into. Yeah. Like, I... We actually had a similar... Not... A situation not similar to this, but, um, you know, with kind of a stranger being at the house. And it was... It was a random Monday where the boys shouldn't have been at ours and Mr. Chatty had stayed an extra night. I think we actually were hang- like we were having a dinner together and he wanted to be there. Anyway, so he had woken up early on this Monday morning to play a game that was getting released before he had to go to school. And about 6am, he comes running into our bedroom, which is at the back of the house. And he goes, there's someone at the door, there's someone at the door. So my husband, Jake, he runs forward to the door I'm like getting on a a robe and I come out and by which point, so people who know my husband and I is like, you know, my husband is the kind of guy who would let a stranger into the house because he's like, oh, maybe (laughs) he needs help. And it's this little guy. I think he was a student. I think it turned out that he'd basically taken a fair few drugs and he just wandered down from campus for miles towards our house. We live close to campus, but not walkable to campus um, typically. So I see him in the house and he's like, they're going to kill me. They're going to get me. They're going to do this. And he's like, obviously hallucinating and crazy. And our neighborhood's safe. This wouldn't normally happen. And I went full blown London. Like it was a, and I'm in like a dressing room. I went full blown London and I was like, get the skeet out of my house. There are children in here. What the skeet do you think you're doing? And I like shove him like straight out the house with the strength I didn't know I had. And then afterwards I was like, <laughs> because it's not in my nature, but it's just in that situation. I'm like, there is a stranger in the house. I don't want my kid to be seeing someone acting in this yeah. way where they, and if he is in danger and he is in trouble, don't invite him into our house. 
Like, that was what right. I got mad at my husband for. I was like, so you, he said he was in trouble, and you said, let me give you a target spot? So <laughs> I was like, tell him to keep on walking. But yeah, I, it's, it, I was the first time, I think, this was really when we just moved into the house. It was the first time I saw what happens when you go into the parent mm-hmm. mode of, like, I just need to do whatever I can to keep the child safe versus, like, how you would normally act. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that scene, we go into the high school. And quick question, did anyone here go to Catholic high school? I went to a Christian school. Okay. So I am the only one who went to a Catholic high school. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, being from San Antonio, that's not a stretch of the imagination. But... I do have to say my one qualm with the way that Catholic high schools were depicted in this movie was the lackadaisical dress codes. The dress codes were not enforced, and at Catholic high school, dress codes are low-hanging fruit when it comes to discipline. And so if there is anything slightly askew or off with your attire, you are going to get called the skeet out on that. And I saw no dress code enforcement throughout any of this movie. Granted, it's probably a side plot that needs no exploration, but I'm just saying, not an authentic Catholic Catholic school experience. Our school was a Christian school, all-girls school, had a very you know, strict dress code for uniform. Like, you wear uniform in all schools up until you're 16, but you'd have more of what you saw in this movie in the state schools versus the private ones. And, uh, I was watching it and laughing similarly because we I'd have never gotten away with that. Like the the thing that we would do is like roll our skirts up to mm-hmm. try and get them as short as possible. <laughs> <sighs> so proud of myself. Yeah. But like, you know, that was that. And you would have teachers like looking at you and be like, I can see your rolls. Like unroll it right now. And then when we got into what we call sixth form, so your last two years before you go to college, you can wear your own clothes. But it's very strict around, like, neckline, midriff, length of a skirt. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I think I'd be interested to see if they've changed that now. Mm. Because um, it was all very, like, sexualization oriented. And I wouldn't say necessarily that having a little bit of your stomach showing is sexualizing yourself. You know, and that comes with a lot of iterations. So the, my, that was where my brain went, which is, like, people in this movie are really using their uniform to define their character. Yeah. And I think it's a kind of dramatic point for that for that effect. Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed is we actually went to the mall on Sunday before we watched this with Miss Daisy. And plaid was everywhere. Mm. And this whole 90s vibe, and I just, I said it at least three times throughout the day. Yeah, I'm wearing plaid right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you are. Um, <laughs> so in. But I was... I was just like, this is the 90s, literally. We were in a store, and they had Nirvana t-shirts and, you know, just all this stuff, all these references, and I was just like, wow. And then the big, thick shoes and all of that. Mm -hmm. But in the actual, in the movie, one of the things I love, one of my favorite scenes is when they are breaking dress code, and they're in the, like, they're all for walking, just like this power friendship group. They've just realized their power, and they are like, in the zone like it's like probably the happiest they'll be as a friendship group together Mm -hmm. and i love their outfits i thought like the rosaries and like everything they had going i'm like that is a halloween costume right there like you get you three other girls and y'all create that so good you know our oldest the teenager he is at his age he's getting really into clothes and he's got 
I, I always say to him, I'm like, it's like the 90s have come back, but good. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, he's got slightly longer hair, which I would associate with the sort of Hugh Grant 90s hair with the kind of parting in the middle, but it actually looks good. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, a lot of the sort of Adidas, Nike, all of those other brands with the sort of the tie dye, but it's like, you know that putting a tie dye top, you probably want to keep it chill on the pants. You're not going to go for the matching, you know, the top and bottom. <laughs> like, I had a lot of matching sets in the 90s, a lot yes. of velvet leggings with floral patterns on it and mismatched tops. And um, we were in a shoe shop getting him a new pair of sneakers. Um, Jake was literally looking at them and they're bringing back so many yeah. of the old sneaker designs mm-hmm. and like modernizing them slightly, like the Air Jordans, the a lot of the other ones. Yeah. And I didn't know a lot about it because, you know, I wasn't wearing those shoes at the time, but it was really cool to see him and the teenager bond over it and like him telling stories about, to, to our oldest about like, oh, this is when I used to wear it and it actually is cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, I love the fact that it's back. I'm all, I'm here for it. Yeah. So... After Sarah's dropped off at school, we're introduced to the inner workings of the Catholic high school, the cliques that are there. We've got the quote-unquote goth girl clique, and then you've got the, you know, I guess you would call them jocks. They really didn't explore much of their jockery, but, like, I guess Skeet Ulrich was playing football at some point. But, yeah, you've got, like, the cool guys that are there, and they're making fun of the goth girls. Uh and then we're introduced to each of the goth girls, Nev Campbell, Feruza Balk, and Rachel True, just icons of 90s films. Uh, But in that scene, they're looking for a fourth for their coven. Their clique has kind of identified as witches themselves, and adding a fourth is what's going to bring them to the next level. But in this scene, we are introduced to the first problematic scene of the movie, which is Feruza Balk takes a noose out of her locker. Oh my god, I forgot about a that. A black noose. And and I and I I get it. Her character has some sort of like superficial fascination with death. But at the same time, like, could you imagine the headlines if a student in 2021 had a noose in their locker? A student in 1996, I think, would be you know similar yeah right? yeah you know great point naomi yeah. great point nooses in general alarm yeah. bells i think um i actually saw it as a bit of a um sense of foreboding and uh-huh. how she was architecting the direction you know um you kind of and we'll talk about this later but you see her go bad and you think oh that is what changed her but then you go no because she demanded the book really aggressively you know what i mean like she's always had this layer of something very dark and I think that really reflected her kind of casual display of that side of her you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then after that scene we're dropped into the classroom and one thing that struck me about it was just the complete disrespect that all of the kids were delivering to the poor French teacher I mean the French teacher wasn't really standing yeah he really (laughs) didn't care you know he really didn't care but at the same time just watching this like oh my god like are they is he just gonna let that fly are the kids just gonna keep going like that and Jess Lewis you guys have just you know come out of high school is there still that amount of disrespect there or is that a stupid question is it always been there (laughs) Yeah, I think it's always been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Miss Daisy would tell me that, yeah, some kids are just walling out with the teacher. And I'm like, I think that was, yeah, I think that was me in, in high school. I was about, so, I was going to ask, 
Were you the good kids or the bad kids? I'm pretty certain I know you two, particularly you. Were you kind of the mischievous one? I was. But not like bad. Uh, you, I towed the line. You I guess. habitual line separate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd cross it, but I, I could, you'd come right back. Yeah, exactly. You just make your toe wherever you And, oh, and that is, and honestly, that is boo boo too. She will oh. completely cross over the line and just be like, what? <laughs> Until you'd be like, get back here. <laughs> Whatever, fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but I appreciate Miss Daisy so much. And I even have told her this in, like, the midst of another teen having a meltdown with their mom. Like, how much I appreciate her. Because she has never been the type that's, like, disobedient. Like, we never got a, you know, like, a teacher said, hey, she was being disruptive in class or anything like that. Like, she never had any issues. Was always just so well-behaved mm-hmm. and so... She had, she's always had this inherent amount of respect for adults that I feel like is lost in a lot of people today, on a lot of teens today, mm-hmm. but it, I, I, I constantly will commend her for it and tell her how thankful I am all the time. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm your bonus mom and you don't treat me this way because that is insane. Like when you see like a, a teen having a meltdown with their parent and yeah. you're just like, oh my gosh, how are they being so horrible mm-hmm. or, or with, with the teacher, whatever it might be, but yeah, I feel very fortunate. We have not had any issues like that with her. I'm finding out now, you know, out of high school, daughter out of high school, I had way different upbringing in school than a lot of people I know. Because this movie is around the time where I start dating girls. Things happen in my home life that are now I'm rebelling against <laughs> mm-hmm. or I'm just doing whatever. And then I realize now, like, these girls get up and leave, jump on the bus and take off. And I was like, oh, yeah, we used to do that all the time. Or, like, yeah, we, one of our friends has a car and we live in the country. So, yeah, we just jump and take off and yeah. go wherever they're going. And, you know, tell my parents, you know, I'll be back later. And mm-hmm. I'm gone for five, six, seven hours. I'm gone for the day and then I come without back. Without a cell phone. And, yeah, without a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And so then I tell people that now, and they're like, wait, what? Like, you <laughs> you didn't ask for permission, and you just got to go? And I was like, yeah, we, we're like, we're going to go swimming. And then we're, we're off. We're gone. Well, and the fact that, like, looking at it, a lot of American high school movies aren't as relatable as this one was. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think it helped. I went to a girls' school. This is a full, really, you know, female-led cast, so I think that that helped. But I think the level of relatability was very high for me in this one because it was a, it was a description of an age and the personalities and the, what the drivers versus a, the scenario of like, what it's like to be in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. That's a really good point, Naomi. Yeah. <laughs> After we kind of like go through French class, which is where Nev Campbell discovers that Sarah is like, oh, she could be our force. She was like balancing a pencil. That was so, on... such a cool scene. It was a good scene. And... She had foreshadowing, too. So she at the lockers had said, I feel it, like something's about to happen. So she had a premonition before she saw mm. the floating pencil. Yeah, Miss Daisy was, like, really, like, that scene got her. Like, that's that, that's okay. to her, yeah, that was the click. Because yeah. she was watching for, you know, it was going on, but when that hit and it was going on, that's when she was like, what are we watching? And then it's like, okay, let it go. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a really one of the real, like, standouts to me and, like, seeing the reaction and you're kind of going also on this journey of, like, wait, is she just doing a really good job of balancing it? Or, like, no, that's not possible. It can't be possible. Oh, now it's spinning. Yeah, I thought it was very subtle but very cool. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Nev Campbell because I loved her arc throughout this entire movie, especially in like the first third or like first act of the movie where she's a little bit more self-conscious. She's isolated. She really does, you know, she's a Hollywood starlet, but she does portray this kind of introvert so well in the beginning. And so with that acting performance, I'm going to transition into Skeet Ulrich. When we meet him (laughs) when he introduces himself to Sarah and is you know trying to give her the lay of the land there and he's doing it in a terrible manner but in that you're introduced to Skeet's own insecurities and he kind of touches on this after Sarah puts him in a spell and he's like you know guys have expectations and so through that and through him giving all of these false narratives to what these girls are about he really does a great job of portraying this white insecure teenage male and it might not have been that much acting for him but he did a pretty good understated job of it he does i you know that persona very well and i think it does a very good job whether it's script or acting or whatever it is of taking us all back to the thing that i think sucked most about high school which is the it doesn't matter what the truth is it's the he said she said it's the Mm -hmm. popularity context you know, she's a lousy lay and, you know, she sleeps around. It was, it was all of these insults and it was very frustrating to me when um, when Sarah is getting accused of being a lousy lay and she goes up to confront him and she doesn't even get the chance to be to say to him in front of his friends, we didn't have sex. Yeah. It was like, why would you say that? And then the lies go on. I'm like, ah, and it made me so frustrated. But then you realize that's exactly what high school's like. It doesn't even matter. It's more about how they treat each other. And I can't remember the exact quote, but when um, Nancy is ultimately killing him and she says a phrase of you treat people, you go around treating people like whores and then she says something else and it's like, whereas you're only saying that because that's what you are. And it, But it, it was this kind of, and it was a little bit of the, there's a double standard when it comes to men and women as it comes to sex in high school. Absolutely, yeah. There's also, I think it plays back to that point around he's, um, talking about his own insecurities because, um, and actually even though Nancy was being awful at the time, there was that kind of flash of like, I relate to her, that's actually a very good point but she's still, you know, possessed and crazy. And Sarah reaches out to the three uh, uh, witches of Eastwick, or Brunswick Brunswick, right? Bitches of Brunswick Bitches of Brunswick, I guess we can say that it's PG-13 so, yeah. yeah, and they go to this occult store along the way walking together to the bookstore you're kind of caught back up in Feruza's box, kind of fascination with death, after Sarah tells her that she's tried to commit suicide and that, that's part of the reason why she's moved, and so uh, that is is that like her vulnerability and her honesty about herself is what kind of gave her some credibility within the group and got her into the group, uh, which was interesting. But then that vulnerability is what pushes her out of the group and ultimately severs ties. And so like it was a very wild arc to see. Yeah. You yeah. could also tell that there was 
some level of credibility because Nev Campbell's character tells her like, oh, you did it the right way. Right. Mm-hmm. She calls out the way that she cut herself. And that is, it's like really disturbing, but you're also, to your point, <clears throat> that's granting her the access, right? Because they know that she's actually dabbled with death. Like she's yeah. considered it. She's dark. She has that to her. And I think that's what allows them to let her in. Well, and then one of the other girl goes, how do you even know that? And they laugh it off and carry on. And it's like, it is not something that you should be saying, laugh about, be like, how did you even know it? And that, you know, pass through. But again, that age is not thinking in those terms. And I think it goes to to show both the vulnerability and also the danger Mm -hmm. of these characters having this power because they still don't know how to navigate the power that they've got. Mm-hmm. And it's it's then that is what being a teenager is. You know, you've got more responsibility, more power, and you are making the mistakes to work out how to do things best. Um, so after the coven comes together, they go to the occult bookstore where the girls kind of gather their provisions and books and crystals and stuff. And I just feel like this store was 25 years ahead of its time because nowadays you see these like oh. mineral, yeah. <laughs> You can find one of these stores on every corner in Austin. Especially in this city. Yeah. Here's the thing I have to call out, though. Okay. Given how small the store was, don't you think the owner would realize her inventory is missing every time this group of girls comes in? (laughs) Yeah. And that she would be like, okay, you're not allowed back unless you buy something. Because seriously... Maybe Every time it. they would go in until until later in the story, like they're stealing everything. You are a hundred percent correct. To your point, I will say the shop owner, maybe to some extent, she was thinking, well, they'll skeet around and they'll find out when they open up one of these books and they'll do a wrong spell and, you know, curse themselves or do whatever. So maybe there was some karma involved with the shop owner's strategy of just like, you know, go ahead, summon Manal. <laughs> I do I do definitely wish in a sense that there was a little bit, there'd been a little bit more from that character in this movie. It was very strange to me how she'd finally found someone who could help her and then something yes terrible happened in the store but then she runs away from her and I was like no dude stay yeah this yeah, is literally yeah. got everything you need right exactly. here yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like, someone who knows how to use it yeah I want to note the fact that the she should have stayed and maybe the shop owner should have followed her yeah. instead of being you know are these good witches supposed to care for the other no, good I, witches I, in the world well she knew nah, she, she left the store not my problem she knew she had power. She right. recognized it right off the bat. Right. Like, to your point, where's that mentorship? There was no mentorship. And so I think it was almost a waste of a tool within the storyline. And you know what? They didn't want to go that direction. It's fine. But, like, yeah, it felt a little bit like they could have done more with it. We can agree she was just stoned. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love if the plot hole is like this is actually a grocery store but they were all just really stoked yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, it was actually a carrot <laughs> uh, okay so they leave, they leave the store and they're out on the street and then Sarah runs into snake guy again he chases after her gets run over by a car and that's when the four of them are saying, like, oh, yeah, did you feel that? I I, I felt like a car was going to hit him. And they start talking about the power of Manon, and, or Manon, Manon? 
Minari? 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 It was not a catchy name. One thing about the name of this god or this deity, whatever you want to call it, the producers of the movie specifically wanted a fake name for this deity that they were introducing because they didn't want to influence kids to start having seances on the beach and summoning things that like they might not be able to handle, yeah. um, which is kind of interesting. But I forget what drives Sarah away when she goes to Skeet Ulrich after... Well, they go and sit, they all go sit in, like, an area that they found, and then they're, like, more excited about it, and she's like, y'all are freaking me out, and then she just takes off. Oh, Uh, okay, yeah, okay. And then it's like, days go by, and then she's on a date. So, the circle is kind of freaking Sarah out, she bounces, hooks up with Skeet, and they're hanging out on, like, this classic 90s rooftop. Mm-hmm. Where, where is this? I, I, I grew up in the country. I've, I've never seen a rooftop <laughs> like this. And then but someone also walked past them. It was like... A couple. Another yeah. couple. To yeah. justify his false accusations of her being a lousy late. Because oh. they're making out when the couple walks by. So yeah. they can co-sign to her and him getting together, even though they didn't. Oh. oh. That's some really great exposition, yeah. detective work. Well, <laughs> throughout their interactions, he doesn't actually listen to her. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever she talks to him, and he'll be like, okay, but yeah, like, I want the next, uh, some kind of intimacy, some kind of touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? That's very true. Even he does when... it later in the movie, too. Like, he's like, actually, I don't know what I'm talking about. What am I saying? Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is brilliant when he's just, like, he is spiraling. Yeah. And it's so indicative of both teenage boys and grown men where <laughs> I'm just talking. I don't know why I'm talking, but here I am, and I can't be stopped. And here is me spiraling at this very moment. And the total, like, <laughs> lack of understanding. Of himself. Yes. It's like such a prominent thing. And he understands himself as much when he's under a spell than when he's not under a spell. You know, it's like... Great point. It's just the flip side of the emotion. Yeah. It just takes it like loving versus hating strong yeah. you know what I mean like just just dismissive yeah. but I do like that Sarah established some boundaries in that scene and throughout she does it a couple of times where it's like at least she says like no I'm not going to your house where nobody's home and later on it's she mm-hmm. she gives them a no again here and there um and even with the friends at the end of the movie like no this isn't happening and I appreciate that about her like she would at certain points just like put down her boundaries and say no mm-hmm. yeah But, yeah, throughout this whole kind of, like, second part of the movie, we're being introduced to, like, all of the girls' tormentors, whether it's Skeet, whether it is um, Rachel True's... What what is the... Laura Lizzie. Say that again? Laura Lizzie. Laura Lizzie. So she's tormenting and just being a complete racist. And it was, oh my gosh, the epitaph that she uses is as bad, if not worse, than the N-word itself. Yeah, like it took uh, Miss Daisy like right out of the movie. She was just like, what? Like, I've never Uh heard this word. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I've ever heard that word either. Like, it's Exactly. It's so harsh, like even hearing it. Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of was like, like physically reacted to it, and it's you know, makes me so frustrated because the teacher did nothing apart from I think he once says shush, and it's like, I don't want to assume that kids would never get away with this now or whatever, but it's like there is there was 
this film at the very least depicts a tolerance that is just awful. I hated the microaggressions and I I could tell that this was a film that was probably greenlit by people that didn't realize how much it was happening because obviously it was done in 1996 but it very much made me appreciate Miss Daisy like immediately being very uncomfortable with it Mm -hmm. to the point of like literally out loud saying I cannot believe this like I cannot believe this is happening and it did make me feel good about today's world of we know that you can't do things like this. Like, a film today doing that same thing would not fly. Like, it would never mm-hmm. be allowed, right? Like, or it would be unlikely yeah. unless it's depicted in a certain way. But, right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, which is I didn't watch this movie when I was growing up, but if that would have happened, I know my reaction wouldn't have been anything close to as strong as it is now, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. The, the, that's the change. One of the scenes that I felt so connected to was when... Nev Campbell is getting uh, the scarring procedure done, oh. yeah. and she—you can just feel her pain mm-hmm. and the mother yes. with like the grip yes. between the. I'm glad you brought up the mom there because that I experienced something a little similar with Wonder Woman when we came back from the UK. Weirdest thing happened at her old daycare. Someone came down with tuberculosis. And yeah, exactly. And so she had to get a tuberculosis test done on her. And it is the weirdest, strangest contraption that she had to be put into in order to... It was was like a clear cylinder that you just put like a a doll in. But this doll is a living child. She was just like a year old. Yeah. And and I remember... and, And they just close it around her and she is just freaking out in it and I can't even hold her hand like the mom was holding Nev Campbell's hand here I can just look at her and almost like this mom was doing was just like be present and trying to have some sort of face of confidence in this terrible situation but yeah um, great another great acting job by the the mom who played well, her. in it so little yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually really appreciated the fact that they let her characterize that character with so much care. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, it could, they could have done the super dramatic thing of doing this, you know, bad parent line. And they actually did the total opposite. And you don't see that all that much in movies. So I thought that yeah. that was a very interesting and great tool. Yeah. I also thought it was so funny later on, not as not as intense, but they're all having a sleepover at Nev Campbell's house, and uh, that's I think when they were doing the light as a feather, stuff yeah. as a board, and she comes in to bring them towels, and then she's like, "Are you all on drugs? Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> freaking out like you've got bad friends. Oh my god. But the other thing I noticed this time around that I didn't notice the first time around, two of the four girls are smoking cigarettes in her room before they start that little seance. And I was like, how do you get away with that as a teenager? Yeah. And the one thing you know as a teenager, and you learn as a teenager when you first learn about cigarettes, is that they smell. Mm. And I remember I got done by my parents, maybe I was 14 or 15. I went to uh, my friends and I was like a public toilet or something near the school and we like smoked because we didn't want the school to see so we like smoked these cigarettes in the toilet and then I got into my freaking car and didn't expect my dad to smell me and the cigarettes of like three other people on my body and yeah 
didn't go down too well. <laughs> it was the only time I was grounded as a child, and my mum was very mad at me, but rightly so. Miss <laughs> Daisy was kind of tripping out on just the, the fact that the kids were smoking at the school. Oh, oh yeah, God, yes. yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah, and I was telling... Well, outside, just having lunch. Yeah, and I was telling them, and Je- her and Jess, that... Uh, I remember at our high school, before I got to high school, pretty much around this time this movie came out, they were, it was still allowed, they were still allowed to smoke at the high school, if you were 18. Mm-hmm. For, for a good while until before we got there, and then they had already taken it away. Wow. <laughs> um, so, okay. Basically, we've been introduced to all the things that are tormenting the girls, whether it's boys, whether it's racism, whether it is, you know, their own bodies or abusive family members members for Zabok's family. Yeah. And so they do this whole kind of like what I would call a brunch seance when (laughs) when they take the bus out to the country Uh and they kind of do the seance there. So when we're in this scene, they're all kind of asking this higher power to grant them the ability to do X. And watching this over and having lived through high school and now having daughters who will, you know, eventually go to high school, it was crazy to see what they were asking for. And you could put yourself in their shoes when they're asking for the ability to not hate those that hate me, uh, the ability to love myself more and to allow myself to be loved by others, the ability to be beautiful on the outside as well as in. And then basically the last character, Nancy, for Zabalk, she asked for all the power, you know, and it's just like this ability to just have some power, have some control over your life, and I mean, this just struck me as so honest with what kids are struggling with at this age. I totally agree. One of the things I thought was funny was the little side comment that Sarah was like, oh, that's all? Like, you just want all of it? Yeah. Um, Such great foreshadowing for what's to come in the movie. And I think it's, you again, the sort of extremities that happen with, mm-hmm. you know, that age. And it's not a fault. It's the case of you think that if you're in a situation like a abusive family where you are put down the whole time and you have no power to be able to save yourself or your mother. And, you know, I think they did a really great job of just how, you know, claustrophobic their living scenario was and how powerless she felt. And so her feeling is that she needed all the power. <clears throat> Because that was the only way that she felt she could climb the mountain that was her situation at that time. Because there is no getting around the fact that she was by far in the worst situation. Mm -hmm. And she was in a situation that we wouldn't wish on anyone. And it was definitely very difficult. So I think that's the thing, which is I think all of them felt that what they needed was something beyond themselves that was very extreme to be able to navigate it. And um, it's basically right after that scene when all the spells start working, where Chris starts noticing, sorry, Skeet starts noticing Nancy. And, and it's that you talked about it before, Naomi, where he recognizes he's under something. Yeah. Some, so, something has taken control of him, and he is no longer himself. And, you know, maybe there's even some metaphorical connection there with just being, like, a teenage boy. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. Like, one day your voice is high, one day your voice is low. You know, it's like nothing is really in your control at that time, and you're trying to navigate it and make sense of it and put your spin on it. But, yeah, like, they had... You're like, okay, well, I like her now. You just, she just went with the flow. 
Mm-hmm. Of what he knew. And then uh, immediately after that, Rachel True's spell, her, well, her name's Rochelle in the movie. It's mm-hmm. so similar. Her spell starts working and her tormentor starts losing her hair. So between the characters of Chris and Lizzie, one thing that I'm, you know, having to remember with both of these characters is like these personalities that they have, they, they are a part of their own but they're also a large part with like how they've grown up as well Mm -hmm. and so Lizzie has probably come from an environment which allows this racism which probably celebrates it and promotes Mm -hmm. it and you know Skeet probably grows up in a house where you know maybe it's hyper masculine toxic masculinity that's expecting all of these scenarios or tropes of what a man should be like and so they're, they're both uh, the sum of all their parts. Laura Lizzie says something which is like, why is this happening to me? That to me demonstrated the fact that she had no idea that she, what she was doing was wrong. And um, they are victims of their environment. I struggle to empathize with or even sympathize with Chris's character because whereas Laura Lizzie's reaction is to be like, why is this happening? This is bad and I know it's personal to her. He tries to rape her. Yes. You know? I didn't understand why that had to happen. And he had to, no control. And no... Is that the spell? Is that... It was... It felt so aggressive that I couldn't feel sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. And I think as well with a lot of this is there seems to be this line that I was always thinking about through the movie of like how much is them versus how much is the power. And if it was a love potion or spell or whatever it is exclusively then he wouldn't have done that because that is not love and he has been up until that point demonstrating every single quintessential quality of a typical love spell that you would see in movies like this and it is not an act of love so therefore it some of his character or pain or background is coming through and so that's where i think it's confusing for all of us sat here because it's like you know the Laura Lizzie situation is pretty straightforward. Her hair falls out. She doesn't understand why she's upset about it. For him, there is a lot more of a connection to the impact this has on his behavior and how he was justifying it or the fact that he seems to demonstrate, and this was the thing for me, a total lack of control and ownership in um, him reacting to how he's feeling in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the other thing that I didn't understand with the whole process there, and again, the character development is both Sarah and Nancy's character wanted him mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. Like, they both wanted fulfillment out of him when he, there's no way he could give it because of how horrible of a person he was. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, like, the worst nightmare I have for Miss Daisy. Like, I never want her to be wanting somebody who isn't deserving of her. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You could treat her like that. Yeah, never. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I don't feel like we'll ever be in that situation, but I'm just saying, like, it's very interesting because Nancy's character throughout it, like, she has this, I don't want to say infatuation, but, like, this, like, he's top of mind for her at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. times through to the end. And I also didn't understand, so when Sarah's character goes to run to Rochelle's character, right, and she's, like, upset, and there's also been a, a kind of falling out between the friend group at that point, but they mm-hmm. call Nancy over anyway, even though they're not in the best of situations. And she's like, oh, I'm going to take care of it. Like, she's going to mm-hmm. go and make it 
Yeah. Like, she's going to go show her power to him. And I was, yeah, I thought it was very interesting. That's when I think it's the part of the movie where it takes a turn. And I hope I'm not jumping forward in this, but um, you, uh, when these characters come together and the kind of terrible situation that she had been through unites them as friends, um, that is actually what kicks off them totally falling apart. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas in most other scenarios, the expectation is, okay, well, that helped them heal the rift that was there in, in the relationship. And then they'll, you think, I honestly, up until that point, thought that this was going to be them uniting and using their powers for good. And it absolutely was not the case. Mm-hmm. And even Rochelle's character, like, I thought she was the most relatable, incredibly performed, like, really sweet out of all of them. You, you know, she Sarah would go to Rochelle for mm-hmm. comfort out of the three of them. And then Rochelle, by the end, is the worst, mm-hmm. I think, in my mind. Like, she's had this total 180 of a personality flip, doesn't feel bad about anything. And, um, yeah, it was... It was that that period that period of time when that happens is a very um, it's it's a weird storyline twist which I really enjoyed actually in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. No, you haven't gotten too far ahead, but the one thing that I want to stop and and make sure we cover is the special effects. They had the light as a feather, stiff as a board. They yeah, the the glamour where Fruza Bok turns into Sarah, and then Fruza Bok's walking on water. So I really enjoyed the limited special effects even today. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, they were well done. Yeah. 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 No, Miss Daisy, like I said, Miss Daisy will get pulled out of a movie sometimes with this. The, yeah. spe- the special effects just knocks her. She's like, "Oh, come on, I can't watch this." But she said nothing to doing this whole through the whole movie. Oh wow, that's interesting. Uh, she besides, like... yeah, besides, in, <clears throat> I think the walking on water she was kind of like, but I mean, she still it didn't pull her out of it. She was just kind of like, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> like, it still looks. That's a the odd. turning point for me. Is that beach scene? That's when they turn into full on witches. Oh, they're bringing oh, yeah. all the stuff, the parakeets and stuff, to the beach, and then oh my gosh. the sharks are all dying on the beach. And it's really scary when she's it's very creepy. creepy when she's walking on that water. Mm-hmm. What is great about these kind of movies or a show like Charmed and stuff? I don't think you need as much of an effects budget because the characterization, the the performance mm-hmm. arc is so strong. Uh, that that's really what it's focusing on more than the special effects of walking on water. The hair thing cracked me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like glistening, and then it's like they want to validate that it's real. So it's like, is it um, Nave Campbell's character goes, oh, it's real. And I'm like, just to validate it's actually real. <laughs> One other thing that Miss Daisy noticed, we think that a lot of um, what happens in Mean Girls got taken from the craft. Okay. So there's go like on. three yes. different scenes where this happens. So the first is when Sarah's character is looking at, or she's watching ski on at the football field, and it's the same as in Mean Girls, where they're like, "Hey, loser, mm-hmm. come on, we're going shopping." It's like the same yes. kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. And then the mom in that scene where they're in the condo, she like wants to be in, and it's just like the character, the the cool mom from yes. Mean Girls, and I was like. They totally took from the same vibe. Like, they stole so... Like, you can just see so many woven-in things from Mean Girls from 
this movie. I was gonna say the uh, the for walking. Is the walking the mean girls. through the corridor. So yes. Yes. I was yes. gonna say the mean girls, was, but I yes. y'all y'all have cracked this wide open. Yeah. The funny thing was is that when you said it earlier, and you were talking about the slow motion walk in the back That's of my mind, I was, I was like, yeah. And then when you said it, it's mm-hmm. that I it that is would be awesome if that's the case. We need to tag Tina Fey in this podcast. Yeah. Please, if that's yeah. Amy Poehler, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, someway. So, they've summoned Manon, and Frizzabalk has all the powers, it seems like, and she tricks Skeet into thinking that she is Sarah... Sarah comes in. Uh, Feruza, you know, she reads his right. Everything she said was correct, I I feel like. But I also feel like Skeet didn't didn't deserve to die. No. I mean, typically, I'm of the belief that people don't deserve to die. That's great. In general. (laughs) But, you know, in that situation, he, if that was a woman in a more um, relatable scenario, um that's not a cool way to behave sexually. You know, like mm-hmm. trickering someone thinking there's someone else or, um, yeah, it's against Will because he literally said that he didn't want to sleep with Nancy. Yeah, and, and I think the saddest part for me was the remorse he showed when Nancy was basically telling him what his character stands for in, amongst his community. And his reaction is just, you know, confusion. And the only thing he knows how to do is say, I'm sorry. And so, and he shows that remorse, unfortunately, a little too late and is uh, defenestrated out of the window. But then it smash cuts into Sarah, you know, crying, Sarah's crying about it. Um, but there didn't seem to be any sort of investigation. Oh my gosh, she's screaming. What about the funeral? Do you not think the cops would have been like, hey, Nancy, what were you up to? Why were you screaming right before he gets thrown out the window or falls mm-hmm. out the window? Which way did it happen? Exactly. In my view, there were more scenes to that because it is a very sudden cut. And then when I was watching it, I was like, I bet there were more scenes. And then someone goes, well, if we do any more, then people are going to question why, you know, they, didn't all they don't get charged or anything like that. They're like, you know what? We'll just take it back a little bit keep a little gray area and then snap to the bit. It just seems yeah. like they just, they flossed over it for the sake of the narrative, for sure. Um, and then after that, that's basically when the group kind of turns on Sarah and really gets inside her head. She's having bad dreams about them flying through the window. And then it kind of brings us to the climax of the movie where she comes back to her house and it's covered in snakes. But Naomi, you uh, you have a thing with snakes, right? I'm morbidly afraid of them. I absolutely hate snakes. <laughs> They, they give me this feeling like I want to vomit. They're like it's just like, wow. like I just think really, they're evil. Maybe they, even they are. Like <laughs> they, and I don't, I don't, I think, you know, people have agoraphobia and stuff. There's something about the exoskeleton and the fact that a very, very tiny mouth can open that wide. It's just like <laughs> they, it they look slippery, even though you know they're not. And then the oh, it's like that's oh, a good point. I've never not, thought about that. Yeah. That's a really good point. But um. I do think, though, the flight situation, when, oh, when they, they, oh, they get that flight and they put the TV on and you're... Pre- there was something so incredibly harrowing about that that that, for me, was probably one of the darkest parts of the movie. And it was, you know, and it's... Well, up. she's completely alone at that point, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. her only people that she truly knows care about her are gone. Mm-hmm. And it's so frivolously done and it comes up at the end of the movie, like... 
it was a practical joke and there's i'm glad they get called out on that because i think that's one of the lessons of the movie is mm-hmm. that was a practical joke and you talk to teenagers about that the whole time like that's too far not to that extreme but it was disgusting to yeah. to like that imagination to want to do that to someone else for what it, it's it's kind of a weird scene. It turns into a fun house almost, where um, she like Fruzabal cuts her wrists, and she thinks that she's dying, but realizes that it's only a glamour spell that she's learned, and so then she kind of starts turning that on Nev Campbell and Rochelle, uh, and and when she does that. They kind of they look in the mirror and Nev Campbell sees herself like scarred scarred face and uh, Rachel True is losing hair, and so they kind of bounce after that, right? Like they're, uh, oh, it was kind of a they weird got very exit lucky in the whole situation. Yes, yeah, yeah, and so that was kind of weird. And then Nancy and, or yeah, Nancy and Sarah have it out. And there's some flight involved in it. There is a dresser drawers that are pushed at Nancy. She's camouflaged. Another thing that I'm like, where did that come from in the story? But yeah. here we are, and she's camouflaged. And then Sarah hits her into a, like, kicks her, kind of like sonic boom kicks, into a mirror. And then that's kind of it. Yeah, she uses and, her powers hitting a mirror. Yeah. Almost like, that's it. That's, that's well, all you needed the whole time. she powers there? It's maybe is it just enough to stop her because she ends up in the mental institute and well, doesn't she on the ground start praying to their that god? Yes, Sarah power? does. Yeah, Sarah. yeah, Sarah so does. So then uh-huh. she has now power also, or and or more power because mm-hmm. it sounds like now the deity is helping her. Like, hey, you're you've been doing it wrong. You gotta come oh, off okay. the balance. Yeah. Ah, there it because, is. And they were north and south the whole time. Oh, oh I didn't catch that. Yeah, I nice. They south, which I wish they would have been east and west because that would have given me some um, vibes from the whole like Dorothy and you know, <laughs> going to the west and the east and all that. But yeah, no, they were north and south the whole time. But I think she, yeah, I think her powers are taken away, and then she's in the mental system because who's gonna believe that she had powers? So this is where I gotta bring in the judgy parentness. Where were the parents this whole time? Right. This whole time. You get what two Okay, so like <laughs> Sarah's just lost her boyfriend slash ex slash slave spell love man. <laughs> and he goes to go console her and she's like, Leave me alone. He's like, okay. I, everything turns to skeet when I like him around it and then he's like okay and just like leaves oh, I'm so glad you brought like, that up oh, why? he just left town yeah no, I well, think he's gonna yeah like, I guess he did it. just leave town I, well, think about I, this think about this as the parent face. as the parent I have a daughter who just tried to commit suicide so we moved from San Francisco to LA I'm not gonna care about how she starts her new school year or like ask her anything and I'm not gonna care when the like homeless man shows up with snakes and stuff it's just like whatever just leave it's cool and then I'm not going to care when the boyfriend, ex-boyfriend dies, and then I'm just going to be like, all right, I'm going to skip town so that you can think I died in a plane crash. Like, where was he the whole time? Yeah, that's a, when you look at that kind of chronological order of events, that if someone who has already contemplated suicide, even at a base level, witnesses someone else dying, support that person. You know, yeah. it's, it's so neglectful. Yeah. It's not parenting at that point. The dad, yeah, just does not seem like he's equipped with the tools to handle anything outside of his own emotional awareness. Because in that scene, 
he can, there's a pause. You don't, you don't see it very well. It's in the background, mm-hmm. but it's like he wants to, but then he just keeps on going, and it just seems like that mo- moments like that have probably built up in this family where he wants to attempt to connect or, you know, create some sort of bond or relationship with the, um, you know, emotions his daughter is feeling, Mm -hmm. but he just either isn't equipped to do it or just, you know, doesn't want to. And even the night of, okay, I get that there was, like, illusions and spells and stuff, but where was he? (laughs) Like, imagine if him and the wife had shown up from, like, the Cheesecake Factory and they're like, what are all these snakes and, like, roaches and shit? Like, What's going on? <laughs> the very end when uh, Rochelle and Nev Campbell come back to the house to visit with Sarah and you tell her that they no longer have their powers. And, you know, Naomi, it's kind of like what you were saying at the beginning where you were kind of expecting them to come together after right. this experience and maybe even have a bit of forgiveness. But Sarah is not about any forgiveness. Well, they're still mean about it. But here's the thing that I also didn't get. So, okay, that last scene, they're like, hey, Mr. Parker, whatever the last name is of the character. It's like, okay, Miss Daisy, <laughs> if you and your three friends have had a falling out and they try to get you to kill yourself and all this crazy stuff has happened, you would tell us about it to where when they show up at the house the next day, we'd be like, why Get the skeet out of here right now. Yes. What are you doing here? Drop that branch on us, girl. Sarah, drop, drop that branch. Drop, drop that branch right now. Like, what? Why did she tell the dad? Like, all this crazy stuff well, it happened. Links to what you're saying because he's not present emotion. So she didn't tell him anything. I think the biggest theme about her character is that she's very isolated and very lonely and she's going through life by herself. It's so sad. And even with her friends. Because she lost her mom at birth. And then whatever happened to her in San Francisco was really hard. Mm-hmm. And then now her dad doesn't even know how to relate to her or talk and to her. And she doesn't also need... I mean, she. I think everyone needs their parents. But, like, by this point, she's worked out her own path for self-defense. Yeah. And it doesn't involve anyone else. And it doesn't involve her parents, mm-hmm. even though they're right there. And the, the scene starts with her looking like sundress, this cornflower blue shrug her hair you know Mm -hmm. she's looking good yeah she looks great and she does not look like she just got attacked right (laughs) and she doesn't look like she's carrying all of this really hidden darkness yeah um but it's there when when they zoom in on her face at the end Mm -hmm. oh it's there (laughs) yeah well, guys, I think we've I think done we it. I, I've really enjoyed this episode. Thank you both so much for joining us. This has been amazing. And wow. I think that's been a good perspective, like young through old, Yeah. Mm-hmm. of this. But one thing I'll say that she said to us at the very end of the movie, she was like, I loved it. It was so original. Like, I think the originality wow. of it, like, even though I know we found a lot of plot holes and everything and questioned a lot of things about the character development, she appreciated it so much because it wasn't like all the things she's seeing in the world today for like you know more scarier type of films right so she yeah i think it's one of those like this could be a sleeper hit that's gonna come back yeah well they they, they consider it a cult classic but i really feel like just take that first part of the definition off because like it's just a classic yeah it's just a classic well lewis jess thank you so much for joining us tonight thank you for having us yeah absolutely absolutely 
Yeah. All right. Yeah, time. Thanks, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs>